Hello, everybody. It's David from Deal Machine. What did you guys think of that last masterclass last week by Steve Trang? The way he taught us how to actually talk to somebody who wants to sell their home at a discount, but they have objections that keep you from actually getting that deal under contract. Well, we've got a continuation of that today. In the same masterclass format, Paul Myers is going to teach a live audience how to handle something Steve didn't cover, which was about the budget. So actually, Steve's going to break down sales training for how to deal with budgetary concerns in this masterclass. We hope you guys are really enjoying this podcast. Most of you are listening because you want to quit a job that you hate and build a life you love. Wholesaling real estate is something that can help you make your annual salary monthly and have the time freedom to take more than two or three weeks of vacation. It's truly an amazing business model, and it excites me every time I get to actually do one of these pieces of content for you because I know how powerful it can be. So if you've gotten any value from this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review and let us know your comments in the Spotify comment section if that's where you're listening on this podcast. We hope you guys enjoy Paul Myers, and he's got a lot of experience having earned a $1.3 million in assignment fees in the last year himself. Thanks and enjoy this episode. The Deal Machine REI Podcast. Everything you need to know to get started in real estate investing. Oh, excited to have you on today, man. I know uh, you've, you've been a fantastic member throughout all of this and, uh, you know, always had great questions come, you know, really, uh, you know, excited to engage everybody and you leading the session is going to be really, really fun. So, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a great one. I'm, uh, I'm pumped. We're, we're going to have a lot of, uh, at the end, if, if time permits, I might share a story of a deal we're just closed. No, we already closed it where we used an option and put down 300 bucks on as an option fee and made $15,000. Wow. There we go. I like that. You've got me hooked. <laughs> um, all right. Done, done sending out the reminders. Perfect. Everybody. Well, um, as we, uh, see people more and more, uh, jump in here, I'll, I'll just get rolling for people. Um, Paul love, love that hook there. We, we might have to jump into that here in a few minutes, but, uh, welcome everybody. Welcome again. The, the purpose of these is to help you become an elite real estate investor. So, um, really excited today. You know, every single week we, we help you improve, grow your business, learn from experts like Paul here that we're bringing on to talk sales, to talk, you know, uh, really all things around the Sandler method and especially that second half of it. But, um, again, since you're on here, you have access to invite your other team members as well. So just a reminder that, Hey, if you are, you know, part of our elite masterclass, then everyone on your team, you know, some, some weeks you might have a subject like this where sales is, you know, more important for an acquisitions manager or someone like that. Hey, pass along that invite. So, um, just remember that you have that ability to, to share with your team. Um, I know our upcoming master classes. So let me share my screen here. If I can pull up the upcoming schedule. Um, we've got a couple really awesome ones locked in here. So, let me see if I can log in first to show you guys. Um, I know next week is going to be David Richter, um, which again, he's the uh, author of Profit First for Real Estate Investors, which um, I know we have a few people on here, I think all included with uh, that book in their background. So it is definitely one of the, the uh, you know, uh, kind of main, main guiding uh, books that people point to is 
great advice on how to start that real estate business. Um, we've got that going on. We have um, upcoming, let me see, can access this for you guys. Sorry about that. We've got upcoming sessions. Let's see. All right, we've got, here you go. So here's, here's past ones you can see right here. You can see my screen, Paul, hopefully. Yes, I can. Okay, perfect. So you can see the past one we had Brian Snyder on last week. We, uh, you know, had Chandler, David Smith recently, Tom Wheelwright, Gary Harper, Steve Trang, uh, Trevor Moxus, and really, really good ones uh, in the recent past. Um, coming up, I don't think they're actually updated on here for you, but uh, um, yeah. So, so you've got upcoming uh, David Richter's one of them. Um, I know we have uh, after that batch reading. Uh, was there a Lisa? Here we go. <laughs> uh, you know, if, uh, the upcoming beyond that, we've got Thatch Wing coming up, and he's going to be at a special time um, that morning. So let me see here. It's the morning of September 14th, I believe. Um, so let me pull that up. Um, yes, yeah, September. Yep, September 14th. When September 21st will be Christina Kraus. Um, she's going to be speaking on how to market to sellers in today's market. So talking about uh, the latest in trends around marketing to sellers. So, um, you know, we got Paul today, David Richter, Thatch Wynn, and Christina Kraus are going to be the next couple. And then Jerry Norton's in early October again, coming back on. So, um, yeah, it should be really, really exciting stuff. Really awesome guests coming up here. Uh, again, if you go to content.dealmachine.com, um, that's where you're going to see that library of past master classes. You can use that as a place to to take notes, to watch any past one, and you know, uh, and, and favorite them, and use it as kind of a place to continue your learning for you and everyone else on your team. So, if you don't have access to that at site, uh, make sure to reach out to to your CSM and uh, to your your you know the deal machine team here, so we can so you can get access to those, and and you know we upload them you know afterwards. You know, like Paul's today should be uploaded tomorrow uh, within there as well. So. Um, it's a it's a great resource to see past ones, to see tutorials, and and uh, you know uh, more about the Deal Machine platform as well. Um, so make sure you're using that resource as much as you can. Uh, as we go through here, I've got a spreadsheet that I always share each week. It's DealMachine.com/elite. Uh, so that's where you can go in, jump in, start uh, meeting each other, you know, use that as a way to network, to find people in your market, to do JV deals, you know, things like that. So, um, we definitely, uh, have seen people connect from there and use that as a way to, to meet other deal machine members and other elite members that are on your level and, and, you know, looking at really scaling their real estate business. So highly recommend using that resource as well. Um, for today, again, we have all Paul Myers, um, all, you know, one of our, our, uh, you know, favorite elite members here, <laughs> uh, really, really, uh, great contributor to the group. Um, he, you know, himself, you are, uh, you know, a true go-giver. You're somebody who is always ready to give, always ready to provide their perspective, to give value. I know you've been a, uh, in sales for over 15 years. You've built a seven figure real estate business in less than two years. So, um, you're really, really, uh, you know, know what you're doing over there. You're, you're, uh, you know, improving every day, always learning, always giving, and for today, we're going to really talk about that second half of the Sandler sales method around like budget and decision and fulfillment and post-sale. And I'll really close that deal, close more dealers, close bigger deals um, using Sandler. So um, before we jump over and I hand it off to you, always love to start off with good vibes again. Um, anybody have 
uh, really good news. And I know, Paul, you can maybe break down your deal now, even if you if you want for a few minutes. But um, anybody closing up a deal right now? Um, any big personal news, professional news, you know, big wins, big hires, anything like that you can share with the group? Don't be shy. They do, don't make me call on you guys, but... <laughs> There we go. Gene, you have Oh, and, and or Jody. Oh, uh, so I guess here's a, here's a nice win. I, I already had this house. So we got it under contract, I think the 11th or 12th. So you might've heard about it, but, uh, we only had, I only had a $50 option with the house and, uh, made us money $5,000. So I like it. I don't know. Uh, it, it was given to me, so I, I wouldn't be able to, use it as like i did all these steps to get the house it was more of you know my neighbors knew what i was doing and they knew i'd give a referral fee and that's how i landed this beautiful property in my eyes because it made us twenty five thousand dollars. so yeah there's the value it's supposed to close to about friday like uh not today uh but like the second mm -hmm. coming up yeah. Awesome. We, we tried to push it for today. It just didn't happen. So, yeah. Oh, well, two days. Still worth bringing it. There you go, Paul. So, I mean, I guess I spent 300 bucks to make 15 grand, and, and here Jody is spending 50 bucks to make 25 grand. So, I mean, he just, he just went up to me just right there. Just 10 grand. No big deal. Bro, I didn't mean to, my man. I mean, seriously, Paul. I got a lot to learn from you. I promise. It's all good. It's all good. But I'm going to ring the gong, too, for that one. There it is. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Gene, did you have a story too to jump in with? Or Nick? Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I don't know if I, sh I don't think I shared it last week, but um, I was able to, uh, as, as, um, as early as Saturday, basically uh, I had three, three rental properties where tenants were able to move in and I was able to increase rents. Um, I acquired four properties, rehabbed them. I'm in a, I rehabbed half of them, but. I took the tennis from nine fifty to fifteen hundred, so uh, per month. So mostly buy and hold, but yeah, that's that's a big win, and still keep quality tenant. So I explained to her how she's getting a better place, adding value, um, and, but rents are gonna have to go up. Beauty, no, big win. Nice, nice. Um, uh, it's it's Nick. I've got uh, we bought four places last month, three to hold. July, and, uh, three to hold and one to flip. Of the three holds, we've got two of them done and people moving in tomorrow. So, busting our bolts, but uh, nice. Got a six six week turnaround from closing the occupancy. So we're we're excited for that. That's a busy month. There we go. Yeah, it is. I'll go out and ball up raise here. <laughs> Good stuff, Nick. All right. Anybody, uh, anybody else want to jump in and share a win from this week before I hand it off to Paul? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? There we go. David. What's up? What's up, man? Hey guys. Great job raising those rents. Gotta do it. So many times, uh, I always just forget that step whenever I'm switching out tenants, but this time, uh, I had a house that was rented for $2,000 and I relisted it without looking at what rents had done. And nobody was renting my house. I was like, I've got to sell this house. Nobody's renting it. Well, 
I figured I was just way too below market. That's why nobody took it seriously. So I raised it up to 2,800 and then it rents it within a couple of weeks. And so we just got that lease secured and I'm glad I didn't have to sell my house because I want to acquire more houses, not sell them. So that was a huge, I'm glad to hear that somebody else called. Oh, who was that that raised the rents? Gene. Gene in DC. Gene in DC. That's it. Shop. I'm, uh, I'm glad to attend from the car. I'm going to uh, the million dollar meeting that uh, Trevor Mock is hosting with Mike Hambright in Dallas. So I'm doing a little road trip so I can go up there uh, for dinner. Sweet. There you go. Tell Trevor, eh? But um, awesome. That's a that's a good reminder, like just being, there you go, being below market and learning from that. Um, all right. Thank you. Do we have anybody else? Morning in progress. Anybody else? All right. Well, uh, Paul, if you want to maybe maybe briefly share your your story too, um, sure. Just to tease that before going in, but yeah, I'll I'll kind of hand it off to you. Take it away, and uh, really excited to have you being leading this one today, Paul. So awesome. Well, thanks, David and Matt, for having me. Uh, if if you're not familiar with me, um, I'm probably the least qualified expert to come on so far, but. I'm excited to share a little bit about sales. Um, I started a corporate, had a corporate career for 13 years um, from age 22 and I graduated from college to age 35. And during that time, I bought rentals. I was just like uh, Gene in DC. I was buying rentals on the side. Um, I did it through the recession. So I really was fortunate to to build a portfolio and i built a portfolio that kind of basically got me out of the rat race and retired whatever that word means in my early 30s i'm now 37 a couple of years ago i decided that based on my career in sales and my passion for real estate investing that a perfect blend of those two passions was wholesaling and or flipping so i launched my real estate investment firm which is myers house buyers here in Augusta, Georgia, is where we're based. And oh, real quick, I, I, and uh, you, you're sharing that screen there too. Um, I don't know if you wanted to share that that doc. I'm gonna sh I'm gonna share it in just a few minutes once we get into content. Okay, I so can, I've got uh, sharing paused, and I'll I'll unpause in just a minute. Cool. So about two years ago, I launched my company. Last year, we did um, we did six hundred fifteen thousand in revenue. This year, we're on pace to do about double that. It's about 1.25 million. Um, I put a chat, uh, a comment in the chat to kind of, if you all want to share what your revenue is, we probably wholesale 75% of our deals. And then the other 25%, we split between flipping and buying and hold. But we're, we're rapidly changing that to be more of wholesaling 50% of our deals and then flipping 40% so we can capture the flipper's profit and then uh, buying, buy and holding another uh, 10%, if you will. This year, we bought 42 homes um, through August 31st or today. So you can kind of do the math on that. We've, we've kept two rentals, two or three rentals. One or two of my team members have kept some rentals. And then we flipped, I don't know, maybe five homes or so and, and ramping that up more and more. So... That's a little bit about where we uh, where we are, and uh, we've we've been fortunate enough to have Steve Trang share a couple different things. Oops, sorry. If you go uh, check out the archive, you'll see that 
he spoke in episode six and episodes 21 in your archive. And you can go back and watch those. But what Steve did was he shared a little about his sales system, which is predominantly based on Sandler, which is what I've spent over four years now and over 300 hours in the classroom time um, learning about and applying. So when we were with Steve Trang, he, he covered mainly the upfront contract and the pain step. So if you look at the Sandler submarine, and any of you can just um, Google Sandler submarine, there's seven compartments to the sales system. There's number one, bonding and rapport. Number two, upfront contract, which is right here. Number three, pain. Number four, budget. Number five, decision. F six is fulfillment and seven is post-sale. So what I'm going to do is fill in the gaps of what he hasn't covered. He's done a phenomenal job on upfront contract and pain, and he covered about half of the budget step. So what I'm going to do is step in here on the second half of the budget step and cover that and decision and fulfillment and post-sale. And I want you guys to keep in mind the context of where I'm coming in, because if you're, if you're meeting with a prospect for an hour and you're wanting to buy their home directly, and you've covered pain and budget, then you're probably about 30 to 45 minutes into your hour long meeting. And we're gonna pick up halfway through the budget step. And I'm gonna kind of tell you some of the ways we do the budget step and feel free to insert your questions uh, throughout as I go through budget, decision, fulfillment, and post-sale. And I'll explain what those are in just a minute. Okay, so starting off, let's talk about the resources that are going to get shared your way. So the first resource that Matt and Carly are going to email you is this uh, two-page Word document here that my team uses to debrief our sales um, our sales meetings. So if I have an acquisitions manager that goes out and meets with a seller, they come back into the office, they know that they're going to sit down with me for 10, 15 minutes, and we're going to walk through this uh post-call debrief sheet or post-call debrief template. And we're going to debrief the sales call. And if you don't know it yet, and if you read this book, Profit First, I understand David Richter's coming on next week. He constantly re refers to wholesaling companies in this book as professional selling companies. So you, if you are in wholesaling or your company predominantly wholesales, which is why I asked the question in the chat box, you are in sales. You you own a professional sales company, whether you realize it or not. And you're selling in the B to C segment, which is business to consumer. You're selling to homeowners for them to sell you their home. You're not doing B to B, which is obviously business to business, which is a, a longer sales cycle and a more complex sale, which is what I focused on in the majority of my career. So assuming you're sitting down with a prospect one-on-one -on -one, and you've worked through your upfront contract with them, and then you've gone through pain, and you know at the end of the pain step, you know their personal, emotional reasons for why they want to sell their home. Now you're moving into the budget step. Now, Steve gave us a lot of good macroeconomic questions to ask prospects to set the table for a lower offer. For instance, he shared, and I'm going to see if I can pull it up here. Hold on one sec. Uh, he shared questions such as, um, you seem, you seem like a sharp guy. You've got a pulse on the market. You know what Zillow says. What are you hearing right now when you watch the news about the market? 
or what have you talked you've talked to friends what are they thinking with interest rates going to three to six percent for buyers right now what do you think that's going to do to the market or right now you know we are hearing their record price reductions going on today what do you expect that to do to the market so he gave us all these questions you could go back and, and read these questions to kind of butter up your seller and set the table for where your offer is going to be so supposing you've done all that now what we try and do is three to five different questions to find out what the seller is looking to net so we're always going to start off with have you thought about a price range you're looking for and most people are almost always going to say no which is normal that's not unusual but they are lying to you okay they have thought about it they've talked to their spouse about it they've talked to a realtor about it so they're but they're going to say no because they're in protective mode we always respond to that with bracketing. So bracketing would be if you're looking to buy a $200,000 house that the ARV would, would be 200 and you're looking to buy it in the 100 range, you want to give the prospects some ranges that'll give them uh, a little bit more of a comfortability in sharing where what they're looking to get out of the home. So you would say we would say something like, you know, are you looking to be in the 70 to 80 range, 80 to 90 range, or 90 to 100? Because if you give them kind of that Chinese menu of a couple different options, that multiple choice selection, it makes them a, a lot more comfortable in saying, yeah, we'd be in the we'd be in the 70 to 80 range. That's question number one to find out what they want to sell for. Question number two, would you so say they stonewall you on that? Okay, no problem. Um, Matt, would you mind sharing with me a ballpark of how much you'd need to walk away from from the closing table? Now, there's a couple of words we use in here with intention. The word sharing, we always use the word sharing because people are much more likely to share. If you ask someone if they'll share something with you, psychologically and subconsciously, they're going to be more inclined to say yes. Because who, who gets asked to share something and says no? Most people don't want to be that way. So mind sharing with me a ballpark of how much you'd need need to walk away from closing not how much you'd want to sell for how much you'd need to walk away from closing suppose that doesn't go anywhere okay no problem would you mind at least sharing a range of where you'd need to be question number four suppose they they still are not giving you anything okay i probably didn't explain this um mr seller but if if we actually paid for all the commissions uh or there were no commissions and we paid for all the closing costs such as title work and attorney's fees what would be kind of your bottom dollar? Then typically, no matter what the seller responds with, we're going to ask this question next, which is, is that the best that you could do? We're going to shut up. We're going to listen, hear what they have to say. Three other questions we also use in closing out the budget step is typically homes in this market in this condition are going to sell between X and Y. 60 to 90 thousand dollars where do you feel comfortable in that range and they might say something like high 70s okay then you've just asked a great question you just distract extracted more information you've got a better gauge at what the seller is looking to net okay another question this is kind of a uh, a more passive hypothetical question if if an investor offered you x what would you do I think Steve shared that one. 
And that question adheres to a Sandler rule, which is if you ever want to know what's going to happen in the future, you bring it to the present by asking a let's pretend question. Okay. So say you want to get this deal under contract for 80 and you really want to know, you don't want to walk away from the appointment wondering if you had offered 80, what would they have done? But you don't want to offer them 80 yet. Then ask them, if an investor offered you 80, I'm just curious, what would you do? So that would be a let's pretend. Let's pretend an investor in, offered you 80, what would you do? And then zip and start listening. Lastly, if we come at the, but at any point in our sales process, be it upfront contract, pain, budget, if we feel like there's not a fit, we're going to call the meeting and move into um, what, what we call now that it's over. Okay. So this right here is a now that it's over question right here in letter O. So if I, I would say to the seller, if I know, let's say they want 100 and I can only pay 80. Mr. Seller, listen, if I know I can only pay 80 and you want way more than that. I, I hope you get it. Um, and I'm happy to connect you to a retail specialist within our company that can help you pursue getting a retail price since it sounds like that's more important to you than speed and convenience. You really just want the highest price. Um, so I'm happy to do that. Now that it's over and we're not at the table anymore and you know I'm just going to take off my Myers House Buyers hat, do you mind if I ask you a question? Prospect would say, sure. Most people that don't end up selling their home to us is typically one of three reasons, right? It's either myself or it's the company that I work for or it's our process or our price. You know, one of those three or four things. You mind, if, mind sharing with me which one of those it is for you? If you ask the prospect a question like that, and you can ask this any compartment of the, of the submarine, you can ask it in, in upfront contract or, or pain or budget or decision, you're disarming the prospect by saying, hey, count me out. I'm not even here to buy your house anymore. What we can pay and what you want, it's a massive gap. We got a, we got a can't, we're, we're worlds apart. So now that I'm out of the equation, just do you mind sharing with me, you know, what, why weren't we a fit? Um, and what, what are your plans for the house, you know, if, if uh, when I walk out of here today? That's going to disarm the seller and they're going to be more willing to share with you now that you, they don't think that you're trying to buy their home from them and you're not trying to buy their home from them anymore. But really, you're just starting the sales process back again and you're trying to understand what their true objections are uh, in case that it's possible that you could address those in a future meeting if they were to call you back. So let me pause right here and see if anyone has any questions in regards to what I've covered on the budget step. Yeah, I was going to ask you to pause there. Uh, Jonathan, I think that this works for any any approach um, in, in your chat there. And then Jody, did, did you uh, have any follow-ups? I know you asked them, like, wouldn't they uh, always say highest price, but didn't know if you felt like that was uh, tackled the whole way. Can you say that question for me one more time? Is it in the chat box? Yeah, and basically asked, uh, like, when you when you set brackets, so, you know, 60 to 70, 70 to 80, 80 to 90, 10 out of 10 times, they're going to say 80 to 90. They're never going to pick that lower bracket. 
Uh-huh. So sure. when you're picking that higher bracket, is that your lowest that you can accept the house for? Or is that the highest that you can accept the house for? Because to me, it's like, I, I've done it like that and I shot myself in the foot because they picked the highest price. And yeah, my highest price still had that wiggle room on it, but I still needed more wiggle room and I had to go back and renegotiate it, which I got, but you know. Okay. So let's let's play that out. So I, I say 60, 70, 70, 80, 80 to 90. You say, I want, um, yeah, I want 80 to 90. Well, you know, Jody, do you remember at the beginning of our meeting when we were talking and, you know, you told me that you would be fine telling me no and I would be, t- I would be fine telling you no if I didn't feel like uh, it was a fit? That's correct. Do you remember that? Okay. Um, I don't... Uh, I don't know how to tell this to you without upsetting you, but I don't think that we're probably going to be a fit for you. Okay. Have a good day. Hey, Jody, now that it's over and, and I'm out of the picture and you're going to move on with your plans for the home, um, do you mind if I ask you a question? Well, since we're not going to do anything, I really don't think it's going to be important. So just have a good day, brother. Okay. All right. All right, bro. Bye. All right. So out of role play. So no, no, no. I'm, I I get what you're saying. Uh, so let's let's say you said eighty to ninety, and right. instead of you instead of you cutting me off at the pass there, kicking me out of your house, let's say you said sure. I didn't. I don't mind asking you a question. Then I would go back to my upfront contract with you and say, I don't actually feel like I'm a fit for you, Jody. And and here's why, if you don't mind me sharing. We ultimately offer speed and convenience over price. And if you're in the 80 to 90 range, that to me, you know, kind of signals, and I, and I hope I don't upset you in sharing this, but um, but you said, you said I could tell you no if I didn't feel like I could buy your home at the beginning of our meeting. So I don't feel like I could buy your home because if you're wanting 80 to 90, it sounds like price is the most important thing to you. And that's ultimately, we're more providing the speed of allowing you to choose when your closing is and providing the convenience of being able to sell as is and not having showing. So honestly, I'd probably recommend that you pursue potentially listing with an agent and I'm happy to connect you to one. Okay. But you are also telling me that you wanted me to have a bracket. You provided that bracket for me. Uh, so I thought that bracket was a house or a price that you can move my, my house at. And that's why I told you that. So if you're not able to move my house at that price, you know, I, unfortunately, I guess we do not have a, a honor to it here. And Jody, that's my fault. And I I apologize for that. I probably didn't explain those ranges. Well, that was not necessary. That was not me off making you an offer for your home. I'm just trying to understand what the ballpark is that you're looking to get out of home. Um, because I, if I have an idea of what that is, I can probably save us both time um, and energy in in calling calling this a no, you know, maybe a little bit earlier. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I just want to protect your time. Okay. Right. Did that answer your question? If I can't pay eighty, if I can't pay eighty to ninety, we do use brackets 
into areas where we can't pay that. But that ultimately is not us offering that. It's trying to understand what, where they want to be. Okay, so when I did it, it was more of an offering system. And that's how I guess I shot myself in the foot. It was like, here are my ranges with a rehab of this price, you know? And I told them, you know, these are my ranges that I'm just totally uncomfortable with. And though they picked those ranges. And then that, I, that also gave me the opportunity to come back and say, Hey, you picked my high range. I, I was really uncomfortable with that. I went back, I did my numbers and I need more money off, which led me to, to be able to do that. And which I did, but I guess I need to, when I give them a bracket, I need to make sure it's not an offer bracket. Yeah. And you could just procedure, procedure bracketing by just saying, Hey, sometimes when I share these, these ranges, people interpret that as me actually making them an offer on our home, on their home. And honestly, making you an offer on your home, Jody, that's like page 13 of a book. And I'm on page two. I don't even know if, I can solve your problem, much less buy your home. So really all I'm trying to do is just kind of figure out what your expectations are so that I can know whether I can serve you well by meeting your expectations. Please open up your podcast app right now and leave us a review and let us know what you thought of this episode. It means so much because the reviews help us get in front of more people. And the more people we can get in front of, the more we can help them achieve financial freedom. And we also get more energy to put more content out like this to help you. So by leaving us a review, it will give you more content to come to help you along in your journey. Thank you so much. Does that sound comfortable, Jody? Would that be like a good preface that would make that more comfortable? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, also, Paul, I'm, I, I would be learning more than just doing a role play right now. And I apologize. I, I'll go down this rabbit hole if you want to, but you know, uh, I rather kind of get back to where we were instead of being in only sure if that's fair appreciate it yeah appreciate you uh you know being willing to role play a little bit too jody <laughs> um but uh I, I we did have one specific question from gene there was saying hey how much do you pre-qualify before going out to appointment um do you have any perspective on that paul we do have a lead manager who answers the inbound phone calls that come in in response to our marketing um they do an initial five to 10 minute screening, but it's really uh, very light. Uh, it just more so is making sure that they do have an interest in selling it that, and that they are the owner of the property. And then we have a second level of screening by our acquisitions manager who really does kind of the heavy lifting to make sure that um, there is some level of motivation from the seller as well as uh, the condition of the property being um, poor or some impending event coming that would cause them to need to move or need to sell. So um, we don't do a lot of pre-qualifying in regards to price over the phone because I've met with sellers who I'll never forget the best deal I've ever done um, that I made $117,000 on. They Initially, she wanted $550,000 for the property. Well, I ended up buying it for three ninety three, so uh, we we really are looking for to a better way to tweak your question, Gene. Is is 
how do we pre-qualify? And we're looking for um, motivation from the seller and then condition of the property. And then maybe an, maybe an impending event that's coming in their life that would cause them to want to sell. So, but not really too much on price. Thank you. Uh, and and just for, for motivation's sake, uh, are you looking for a certain time frame for them to sell, like say within 30, 60 days versus six months? Yeah, I think anything within 90 days, I want my acquisition managers engaged on it. If it's beyond that, then I think it needs to go into the cold follow-up bucket, which would kick it back out of the acquisitions division to the lead manager division, to the, the person I have that answered the initial call anyway. And they're going to follow up every month to three months, depending on the situation. Thank you. And there's another question by Jonathan Swanson about by flipping, do you mean wholesaling or fix and sell? We do both in our company. Uh, the one thing we don't do in our company is assignments. We just do strictly double closings. So if that didn't answer your question, just pop back in the chat and, and maybe give you more clarity on that. Did that answer your question, Jonathan? Cool. Uh, he's on, yes. Okay. All right. Sweet. Okay. So assuming you've gotten down to what the seller wants, you found, uh, you've come to an agreement on price, what they want for the home, and a couple other things we put in the, the email that you're going to get from Josh, which I'm going to pull that up real quick so you guys can see. A couple other things, which Jody, this this might be another area you can go. Um, if you look at this debrief template that you'll get by email, and you look in the budget section, uh, hold on, let me see here. Where is? Oh yeah, here we go. Comps and Reno. We can all decide, we all have to kind of decide how much you want to share with the seller. We are not in the free consulting business. Um, so if you wanted 80 to 90 for your home and those numbers just made absolutely no sense, then I would have to decide um, how much I wanted to educate you on comps and reno budget. Typically, our acquisitions managers ask an open-ended question that will gauge whether the prospect wants to know about this. And we might say something like, you know, Jody, do you mind, um, would you like me to share with you a couple recent comps that have sold in the neighborhood in the last two to three months? Because ultimately one of the biggest problems in the budget step is your prospects see the home that's sold down the street for 350 and they don't look at the condition of the property. They just say, there's a home down the street that sold for 350 And so I think I could probably get 320 or 330 Meanwhile, their home needs a $75,000 rent. Okay? So you have to confront that issue with the seller without upsetting them. And if you wanted to do that uh, fairly directly, a good way to do it would just be to say, you know, Matt, do you, I've got to tell you something, but I'm afraid that if I tell it to you, I might upset you. How can I tell you uh, what I'm about to tell you without upsetting you? Can you help me with that, Matt? Matt Camp? Well, go ahead. I think I can take it. <laughs> okay. Can I, can I can I interrupt real quick? 
Sure. So one way that I, I taught would learn from somebody, maybe even one of y'all guys, was uh I think it was Cody Sperber actually. He was saying when you're inside their house and you want them to start showing you things that they that you want to point out to them, ask them, if you were to make this house the exact way that you would want it, what would you like to fix? And then they'll just start they'll just start telling you everything wrong with their house and then you're just like okay well that's great because the house down the street didn't have any of these problems and it sold for the 350 so you just told me eighty thousand dollars worth of budget that needs to be done so we're gonna have to come off of that price you see where we're going at now yeah all right perfect all right and then do whatever you gotta do right that's right. Yeah, so it's the budget step is where if, if you do want to, if you ask the prospect if you'd like to re re give them an overview of some comps that have sold and what you, it's going to cost you to renovate the home to get it to that condition, this would be the time. So I don't want to move out the out of the budget step without explaining that um, and what your renovation budget is because they're. They're ultimately going to think that their home is just as good as that home down the street that sold for three fifty, and then they're they're also going to think that they can fix their home up for twenty to thirty when it's really going to take sixty grand, and we all know that. So, all right, the decision steps. So, say you're in agreement on price, right, and you're going to buy Jody or Matt's home for for eighty thousand. It's now your responsibility as a salesperson to identify. Who's going to be involved in the decision-making process? We call this the decision step or the decision compartment. It's compartment five of seven of the Sandler system. And you have to do that in a way that doesn't invalidate the person you're meeting with, right? Because they may or may not be the sole decision-maker. They may or may not be um, have the sum of all votes plus one, which means they've got like veto power. So... We ask a couple questions, and this is this sheet right here that will be sent to you is what my acquisitions manager has in front of him, and it's kind of more of an abbreviated version of what we ask. So if I were to show you kind of the more elongated version with the actual script, the first question we would ask, this is the decision step that I've highlighted in blue. The first step would be, um, you know, Matt, who, and Matt, you don't need to respond to this, but I'd say, Matt, who besides you is involved in the decision-making process. And then I would shut up and listen. There are lots of ways you could ask this question that would be offensive to the person. Because if you just said, you know, who's really going to make this decision? Or um, who, in addition to you, you could ask it that way, is involved in the decision-making process. But you don't want to um, invalidate or um, I, I'm, I'm lacking the right word here. You don't want to usurp their um, authority in the decision-making process, but you, do you don't want to need to. You don't want to imply to them like, oh, you need to get someone's permission. Like whose permission do you need to, to move forward? Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're, we're having an adult to an adult conversation here. We're both on equal footing. You, you don't want them to treat you like a vendor, right? And similarly, you don't want to treat them like they're not in charge. So who besides you 
or in addition to you is involved in the decision-making process. Now, you're going to have a couple different responses to that. You're going to have some people that say, well, yeah, I'm the sole decision-maker. If they say that, that could be true or it could be a lie. If it's true, then you want to test it in a nurturing way with a nurturing tone to confirm that it is true. So say they say they're the sole decision maker. I would say something like, hey, man, I respect that. You know, I wish I was more like you in that respect. Um, just making decisions by myself and being confident about that decision. You know, I always feel like I need to run my decisions by somebody, whether it's my wife or whomever. I'm just curious, would you run this by anyone? And then you shut up and you listen to hear what they say. Oh, no. I had a, I, I met with a seller last week, guys, and she said, "Oh no, I'm I'm a staff sergeant in the army. I'm single. This is my decision." If they say something like that, great. They're the decision maker. Let's move on to the next question. What you're trying to smoke out is who else is going to be involved and who can blow up your deal, because we have a rule in Sailor that says if there's a bomb in the room. Light the fuse and give the bomb to the prospect. It's their bomb to defuse. So if they say, um, let's see here, if they say no and you don't want to sell, then you can, again, move into your, this is the trying to find out why they wouldn't want to sell to you. But if they have other people that are going to be involved in the decision-making process, then what we start moving into is isolation of all the decision makers, starting with the person you're meeting with. So say you're meeting with someone and they say, yeah, I would need to talk to my spouse. We would say to them, suppose, you know, suppose you, you know, for a second you weren't married and, and you and I were just having this conversation. What would you want to do in this situation? And by asking that, you're essentially finding out if they want to do the deal. Because if they don't want to do the deal themselves, then it, don't make, it doesn't make any sense for them to bring in their spouse, right? So you want to find out first if they're on board with the reasons, the pain, and the budget, okay? If they say, well, I, listen, I want, to be, I want to move on from this home. I think 80000 is a fair price, and you know, I just want to run it by her. That sounds great. I totally get that. Let's say, let's pretend. I'm going to use another let's pretend because I want to know what's going to happen in the future when my deal blows up. I'd rather know that now, right? Let's pretend you're sitting down with your wife and she is not on board. Why would she not be on board? What would be her concerns? And then shut up and listen. And you're going to find out what are her criteria in the decision-making process? That's letter B right here. What's most important to you in making the decision and what's most important to each decision-maker or stakeholder involved? For instance, if you have a sibling situation with a probate home that's being inherited by multiple siblings, what can you, can you walk me through? We're always trying to find that one sibling that's going to blow up the deal. And then once we found that sibling that's going to blow up the deal, we're putting the onus back on this, the person we're meeting with, maybe that's the executor, and saying, 
when your brother who's in Alabama sees the 80 grand or, or doesn't want to sell because they're maybe living in the property for free, what are you going to do about that, Matt? And then we're putting that onus back on them. Okay. Anyone have any questions about that so far? All right. The other parts of the decision step that we always make sure we cover are timeline. When someone's making a decision to sell their home, there's a couple timelines involved. And you guys know this. There's the decision to sell. That has a timeline in and of itself. There's the decision to actually close. When's the actual closing going to occur? And then thirdly, there's the decision to actually move and what, what is the timeline associated with vacating the property? There's three different timelines there. So we work through those individually and ask the prospect, you know, Mr. Seller, would you mind walking me through kind of what your timeline is for both deciding to sell and making your decision on whether you want to move forward with us or actually closing, like what, what's the closing date that you're, that you want? And then what's your timeline for actually moving and relocating? Is there anything that would prevent you from making a decision today? We like to ask that. And then we've already covered who in addition to you is a part of a decision-making process. So you can identify the other cast of characters. All right. Then fulfillment step. Really, really quick, Paul. Uh, Gina jumped in and said, how, in terms of estimating renovation costs, do you have any recommendations there, or rule of thumb calculators or any, any tips on that? Yeah, that's a whole nother, you know, we do another entire masterclass on that one, but yeah. So I will send, um, I'm going to send myself an email of a JPEG image in my phone that we use, and then I'm going to pull it up from my Gmail or, uh, my Gmail inbox real quick. So let's pause on that question. And once I send myself this email, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll answer that and show you our whiteboard we use for rent and budget. Sounds good. The fulfillment step is if you if you're familiar with selling it's the close but the closing of a sale in this world of sandler is not what you might think it would be closing in the world of sandler is allowing the prospect to close so a sandler rule would be the best close the prospect never sees why would the prospect never see the close it would be it would be because you ask this question, what would you like to have happen next, Matt? So again, we've been through all your personal and emotional reasons for selling, that's pain. We've talked through the budget, we've come to an agreement at $80,000, that's budget. We've talked through everyone that's involved in the decision-making process and we know who's involved and that we know everyone's on board and no one's gonna blow anything up. Then we're gonna ask, what would you like to have happen next? It's the simplest, easiest way to close. Most pr prospects are going to say in response to that question, something akin to, well, do you, do you have an agreement that we would do, or do we need to put anything in writing? And you're going to say, oh yeah, you're totally right. Yes. We, we have a, you know, a basic purchase and sale agreement that we use. And, um, I know when we talked at the beginning of the meeting, we said that if we came to an agreement, what yes would look like is that we would put everything in writing. So yeah, we can take three to five minutes and I can write that up 
And if you have any questions, I'll kind of give you an overview of it. And then, uh, and then we can sign that. We don't use the word contracts. We use the word agreements because it's less intrusive. It's, uh, uh, more agreeable to people subconsciously. So the Sandler close is essentially asking what would, what would you like to have happen next? There's two other things I have written in here. One is if you're going to be um, potentially using wholesaling as an exit strategy, it's important at this time in the sales process to explain to the seller that you might, that you'd like to have an opportunity for your investor partners or cash buyers to walk through the property. And you just simply need an hour from 1 to 2 p.m., on a weekday sometime this week? Is there a time that would work well for you? So you're gonna position that walkthrough so that you can maintain wholesaling or assigning the property or double closing it as an exit strategy. Thirdly and finally on the fulfillment step, if necessary, discuss a move out date and then uh, an agreement on what's gonna happen with possessions in the home. When we've done this poorly, what has happened is the seller has left things in the home that we weren't expecting. And then our, if we bought the property, our trash out budget, we budgeted a thousand and then it took 2000, it took 3000 or it took 5,000. So it's, this is a good time to talk about what's going to be removed and what is. So that is the close. It's the fulfillment step. That's all it is. It's essentially asking, what would you like to have? What would you like to have happen next? Lastly, one thing I love about Sandler, and I'll kind of conclude with this, is the post-sale step. Really quick, Paul, too. I, I know, Gene, you hit the raise hand button, too. Did, did he answer your question, or did you want to jump in and ask really quick here? No, sorry. I was saying goodbye to Ryan. Sorry. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> Wrong hand. Uh, cool. And I liked I liked Sean's tip, too. It says exchange the word signature with autograph. Sellers like that, too. So anyway. Yeah. Go ahead, Paul. The post-sale step. Now, if you've been in this business any length of time, you guys have all experienced a seller that experienced seller's remorse after you walked out the door, after they signed an agreement with you, and then they completely ghosted you. They certainly never showed up for the closing table, at the closing table. They never, they stopped responding to your calls. They stopped responding to your texts. And something triggered in their mind in regards to price or your process or the deal y'all came to and they had doubts and they backed out and then you lost the deal. The post-sale step is making sure that you're heading that off at the pass so that it never happens. If I were to recommend to you how to position the post-sale, I would say something to the seller like this. Hey, and this is right after they've signed the contract. So we just went through, I said, what would you like to have happen next? They said, we will, do you have an agreement or something that we would sign? I pull out an agreement. We fill out the agreement. We sign it. And then I would say, you know, Mr. Seller, if you've got any fears, doubts, or uncertainties about the agreement that we just signed, I'm happy to tear it up now. Because it, what, what makes it a challenge for me is if, you decide to back out later on. So if you do want to back out, let's just go ahead and back out now. 
because if you decide to back out later after we've invested time and resources into um, the due diligence process and your home, uh, it's going to be a significant cost for for me and for our company and whatnot. So do you have any more fears, doubts, uncertainties that you'd like to talk about? Because if you don't want to move forward with this and you don't feel like it's the best thing for you, um, I'd be more than happy to tear this up. And then shut up and listen and hear what they say. So this does take a lot of guts. It does take a lot of practice. But if you want to make your deal stick, real stick, I'm talking about like a syrup bottle at Waffle House sticky, this will make your deal stick and get it to the closing table. Because the deal's already done. They signed the contract. Who would take an agreement that's signed and pass it back across the table and say, listen, if you don't think this is the best thing for you, I don't want to move forward. Um, so if you've got any fears, doubts, or uncertainties, and you want to back out, let's back out now. Your whole point in doing that is to get them to back out. Because if you want them to back out, when would you like them to back out? You want them to back out today while they're in front of you so they can share their objections with you. So you can either work through those objections with them or maybe not work through them and call it a no and part as friends. Either way, if the process is going to back out, you want them to do it right while they're in front of you. So that's the end of the post-sell step. And um, you also might want to introduce your dispo manager if you're, again, trying to maintain wholesaling as an exit strategy. Or if you're going to provide them with resources at this point, like a moving company, a dumpster vendor, a local leasing agent to help them get a new apartment that they're going to move into, this is where you could introduce those resources where you might be adding value to that seller that essentially makes the deal possible. So uh, with that, that's all I had to share. Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, fantastic, man. I saw... Uh, oh, there we go. Go ahead, David. Hey, sorry, my phone overheated, so I, I my phone shut off, but I've been here uh, for the last 10 minutes. So you, I have a question. Uh, can I ask you a question about the sales process you might have covered? Absolutely. Fire away. Yeah, what happens when you give the contract and then they uh, they ghost you when the deal's in their court? So they sign the agreement and then they still ghost you? Well, actually, no, they don't sign the agreement. They they verbally agree with everything, but then you set the agreement and that they no longer reply to you. If they don't sign the agreement when I'm right there, then... We're going to go back to the upfront contract that we discussed when we first came in to meet with them, and we're just going to call it a no. So there wouldn't oh, be any there wouldn't be any misunderstanding if if we get to the the post sale step and or, or the, the the some point in the sales process prior to this there would have had to have been a breakdown, and we would well, have agreed. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, let's assume you're you're virtually wholesaling and you're not at first. So you're sending them a docu sign. Yeah. So you have any gap? Yeah. How, how, how you handle that if you set the doc, decided that they no longer reply to you? If they've signed the, if they've signed the DocuSign, then you can do it over the phone or over Google Meet after they've signed it. And you would do it just like I positioned it right here. You just get them on the phone and do it. Hey, I saw that, I saw that you signed the agreement. Um, that I sent to you over DocuSign. I really appreciate that. I'm, I, I feel like it's a good fit and I'm glad that you do too, but 
do you, before we even move forward and I, I start including all the other people in our company, do you, do you have any fears or doubts or uncertainties that, that you want to cover? Cause if you have any second guesses on this situation, this agreement that it's going to solve all your, your problems and things we talked about, then I don't want to move forward. Perfect. Thank you. Paul. I appreciate it. But if they get, if, if, if you're virtual wholesaling and you send them an agreement, they sign it and then they just ghost you, then you're dead. You're dead in the water because you're not even going to be able to talk to them to do that post-sale. So you're, you're talking post-sale. I, I came across uh, one of my deals to where uh, I got it under contract. I was expecting a free and clear house. It had to go through probate, so it took some time. The seller was pretty cooperative through the whole process. Um, but when it came to close, taxes were occurring for four months out, out of the year, I guess it was. And when he got the, the HUD statement back, the payoff, he was like, well, no, I wanted to make X amount of dollars on this. I thought you were going to pay for my taxes. And I'm like, man, like, how do you expect me to pay taxes on a house that you've had for over a year? You didn't pay taxes on it. I'll pay for this year's taxes. That's fine. You know, I can, I will do that as my company for you, but to pay for last year's taxes and this year's taxes, I'm like, I said, no. And he's like, well, we're going to have to renegotiate or the deal is done. I, I, I called him back and I was like, look, I'm willing to pay for half of the taxes, but if you're not willing to do that, what I'm going to do is just put a memorandum on your, your house and you're never going to be able to sell it again <laughs> unless it goes through me. I don't want to do that, but you know what? You are bringing this up to my attention now and you can ask your attorney on this. And he called me right back and said, what can we do? I mean, I still closed on, I still got paid, but... I mean, that I used to like me. I was like an asshole. I don't, I don't like being that way. But this guy ran yeah. out the last, you know, for four months. Now he wants to renegotiate the price. I'm like, dude, fuck you. Yeah. It sounds like uh, he got a little firm with you and you got a little firm with him. Yeah. So I, I probably would have tried to a little more to not break any rapport with the seller. And I would have done that by saying, I would have said, Mr. Seller, I, I guess. Sounds like you didn't know about these taxes. I certainly didn't know about them. How do you want to share in this new, in this newfound obligation? He said, I want you to pay them all or we don't have a deal. And I, I would just, wasn't ready for that. You know, cause I, I didn't, I, I didn't have to pay any of them, you know, if I, Andy, uh, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm opposed to a Jody, but when I got to, when I got to walk into my manager's office and tell him we had a deal at 80 and we got to pay for a $4,000 tax bill that neither of us knew about. And we got to pay for a hundred percent of it. He's going to laugh me out of his office. I just don't know how I sell it to him, Jody. No, I, so, I, I got it done. It's just, <laughs> So how do, you're, you're, you're trying to put the onus on me um, out, outside of role play. You're trying to put the onus on me to solve that problem. It's it's not my problem. Um, 
You guys heard Steve tell this to us. Is that where you were saying you like the bomb? You give it to the prospect's hand? Is that exactly? Okay, exactly. I just, there's a bomb in the room. I'm lighting the fuse and I'm giving you the bomb. Perfect. Beautiful. That's good stuff. I love Sean. That was a good tip as well. Like just making sure you review the agreement while you have them on the phone. Like, you know, as much of that as you can do live as possible. Um, all right, Paul, I thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if we have any other questions, I can stick around for a few minutes. Paul, I don't know if you have any, um, we're going to give away the freebie, uh, that, that Paul, that template that Paul's been going through on that freebie. We're going to send it over email. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. Um, and then always just a reminder to you to use that new account for the content.mealmachine.com, uh, you know, where you're going to find the past recordings, the, the, uh, you know, courses, trainings, all of that. Um, just one last reminder too, as I wrap up, I know we talked about this last time, but we have our deal machine two day event going on. So it's the two day mastermind with David, who David's on here. If you want to go hang out with him and, um, really, you know, the, the, the qualifier for this is that. You need to be an investor who's done at least 100K in your business in the last 12 months. So super high caliber group of people in the room to learn from, to network with, to do deals with. Um, even seven-figure and eight-figure investors are going to be there. Paul's going to be there. Um, and we're going to spend time digging into your business, you know, building potentially lifelong partnerships here. And, uh, you know, I just threw the, the link in the chat here for that application. So... Make sure to check that out if you're excited to spend some time with David, Paul, and then, uh, you know, the, the top tier of our network there. But, um, Paul, do you have anything else here too? Or uh, any, any other last minute questions from anybody? Well, I just, to add on to that, I'm really excited about the Deal Machine Mastermind. I've booked my hotel and booked an airfare and pumped to get up to Indy and meet all you guys in person and just continue to, um, add value and then hopefully, you know, receive value as well. Sharing, sharing my biggest give, sharing my biggest ask can be a lot of fun. And I know that for us, um, adding in, focusing on agents and the listings and agent referrals division for us is, is going to add about $500,000 in gross revenue to our business this year. And it's really essentially what's helped us double in size. So, um, I hope that I can really add a lot of value to people by sharing about that. Love it, man. Well, pre appreciate Thanks, you. Matt. Oh, David, yeah, go ahead. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, if you guys are interested at all, uh, would definitely love to uh, have you apply and wrap one of the seats. If you're on this call, 95% chance uh, it's it's going to be a good fit for you on our end. And we'd love to talk through that with you uh, while you're at it. So uh, thanks for posting the link in there, guys. And hopefully I look forward to talking with you guys next couple of days good stuff all right thanks everybody see you uh, same time same place next week and jody i can hang around for a minute too also here uh i don't know if this would help anybody else out but i i have like a lot of leads through deal machine from driving driving for dollars i'll put them in put them in as a lead uh, i haven't skip traced them yet uh the ones that we have skip traced we have like 750 numbers that we can start potentially calling i need some type or how can I utilize that list that I have to actually without me busting my ass and making phone calls like I've done in the past get appointments off that and what my appointments that I'm looking at I'm not necessarily looking at that house for a potential buy however that's my intention but what I'm really looking for is more of 
I'm looking for leads and I'm paying you $1,000 for a lead. And that's my whole kind of what I'm doing. I'm like, yes, I want to knock on their door. I want to buy their house. But my thing is I want to take it off of me wanting to buy their house and me wanting to give them $1,000 for a lead. How, how do I do that with the numbers that I got? Are you looking for a strategy to employ bird dogs to bring you leads? Is that what you're trying to do to build a referral network where you're paying a thousand people for good leads? I do have bird dogs out there looking for houses like that. And that's potentially what I want to do with every single person that I give one of my flyers to is I'm not really looking at your house. Yes, I would love to buy it. But if you know somebody that has a house, I need you to contact me. Here's all my information. When you do, and I close on that property, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Those are beautiful leads. I mean, that that was one of the twenty-five thousand dollar home run that I got this. That's coming up this Friday is from doing that. So, like, um, how do I get my VA if I do hire a VA like sell leads, not? I want to buy your house. I'm looking at in my notes right now and uh, for a resource for you. So I'm going to let someone answer your question while they're doing that. Though, I'm going to see if I can find there's a particular podcast episode from Todd Toback with the No Limits Real Estate Investing podcast that I have in mind that would answer this question. So just give me one second. I'm going to flip through some pages. Awesome. Thanks. Anybody else got any help for me, man? Yeah. Yeah, it's that. So Josh or David, do you have any thoughts there? Trying to think of who else. I'm trying to think for I don't know if I entirely understand the ask, Jody. Uh you're you've got a list of like driving for dollars leads that you're trying to work and you're really you're just talking about what's the best marketing process to get them on the phone and opportunities. Or how do I utilize the phone numbers that I've driven? And I've gotten from me actually driving and saying, this house looks like a good house. This house looks like a good house, right? Now I have all this compiled of information. Instead of me just getting a light phone and start dialing. What's well, what's, what's wrong with getting on your phone and starting to dial? I'm like using Mojo Dialer, calling three, three numbers at a time, 750 numbers. You could do probably do that in a half day. Is there a reason why you don't want to do this, the direct cold call and talk to people? Ty, I, I, yes, I'm, I'm good on the phones. Uh, I did tell sales marketing for years, which I, I apologize if I ever called anybody. So, uh, but. I don't know. I, I, I want to get away from this aspect and I want to do more of the meetings, you know, the actual going to the house, looking at the property. Okay. That's where my bread and butter's at. I love talking to people. All right. Well, then you, then you definitely need a, uh, a cold caller slash appointment set setter. I mean, that's, that's what you need. Yeah. It's, that, those are your options. Um, Sean's mentioning also, you can do more direct mail where you're just getting inbounds. Um, definitely another option to go with as well that I would ideally you're doing both at a time, but I think to Paul's point for sure, if the work, that work has to be done no matter what is the real answer. And so 
someone needs to be doing that dialing um, so that you're getting those appointments set and then you can do more of what you enjoy and show up. And it's good that you know that because you don't want to spend all days doing stuff that you don't enjoy. Obviously, sometimes you got to get through it, but um, if the, if you narrow the time, that's what Yeah, I'll get on the phone and make 50 phone calls or something, you know, Josh, but you know how it is, my man. <laughs> this yeah. law work. That's where you get paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Zach Booth and Christina Krause both had passed masterminds that could be good worth watching if you hadn't seen those live stuff. Um, well, that's all I got, guys. Uh, did you get that up, Paul? I'm sorry. I can't find it. I've looked everywhere, and I'm really unqualified to answer. If your question is how to build a bird dog network to bring you deals for $1,000 referral fees, I know it can be done. I know people are doing it. I've never done it myself because I've found leads in other avenues. So I'm really unqualified to answer that that question for you. Um, and I can't remember what episode it is, and there's no way for me to search. I can search my notes from the episodes I've listened to, but I can't go into his podcast and search. So I can't, I can't find it. But I know that... Here's another quick question. Uh, when y'all, if y'all, y'all, does anybody have any drivers out there? We do. You do? Okay. Like, yes. how much you pay, pay a, a driver to actually do that? And what are you teaching that driver to do? Okay. David Lecco is more qualified to answer this question, <laughs> but we would pay in, in our market $12 an hour and then no bonus and an expectation of 15 leads added per hour, distressed leads. And then we would train them by giving them 15 to 25 signs of distress on a home. And then they're off to the races and we can spot check the homes they add after that. But Deal Machine has tons of resources on mm -hmm. how to hire drivers and how to train them and all that good stuff. Where are those resources then? Is that under the the REI education room? Yeah, we did a we did a past mastermind um, with David Frizzell a couple months ago, and yeah. it, that was the subject was uh, build a driving team. So um, check that one out too. Yeah, that's a solid one. We also have some just open YouTube videos that David's didn't has done in the past about recruiting, and then also like the management process with them. And then if you have our driving for dollars elite set, set up, you've got our recruitment funnel that comes with that plant here, which has videos showing like, yeah, even in the videos, there's training on what to look for in the properties and, and everything. But there's also videos on different comp models and structures that you might use. Um, and I recorded those myself a little while ago. Um, so I would uh, maybe take a look at those if you have that in your uh, account as well. All right, cool. Guys, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I would also refer you to Gary Keller's book, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, page 204, in which he talks about rewarding referrers with a handwritten note or a small gift or a finder's fee or a piece of the action at most. And then he also talks about building a reputation as an investor who rewards leads and is great to work with. But this book, page 204, might, might have the answers on the bird dog question.
I love it. I mean, I think right there, those are the answers. Like, that's for Bird Dog, that's Referral Network, that's everybody you deal with. Like, show that value back. Perfect. Yeah, and then I would encourage you to maybe reconsider your willingness to cold call those because we all, in this book, Gary Keller talks about um, our highest and best use of our time um, is spent on lead generation. So this morning I spoke at a real estate brokerage in the front, in front of about 10 real estate agents. In the next month, I'll speak at three other real estate brokerages, uh, which will be a total of probably another 50 to 75 agents in my market out of the 2000 that are here. So we, I think we all, even if we have acquisitions manager, we all still have some type of, um, corporate level business development responsibility to grow our companies. Um, and whether that's cold calling these 750 leads, I don't know that it depends on if you have an acquisitions manager to do it or not, but I still see myself as, you know, responsible. I'll, I'll never get away from lead generation and I'll always have some level of responsibility for investing my time into lead generation activities. I'm just trying to, instead of meeting one-on-one -on -one with an agent, I'm trying to go into a brokerage and talk about real estate investing and speak to 25 agents instead of just one. I love that. Cool. Great. Well, Matt, give me the control to shut things down. Anyone else have any last uh, thoughts or questions or anything? Not at this time. I guess next week I'll see everybody. See you guys next week. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.